Welcome to another episode of How to Read the Bible. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, here today with Josh Kessler. How are we doing, Josh? Doing good. Doing good, Nate. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. A little chilly. It's yeah? Florida chilly. It is chilly for Florida. Yeah. It would yeah. be useful, though, for uh, illustration purposes here in a minute. So uh, there we, go. we are doing an intro to the book of Ecclesiastes today. We just mm-hmm. finished Proverbs in our CBR reading, and it feels like a bit of a speed bump. We've been spending the last several weeks reading all sorts of pithy sayings about wisdom. Right. Very standalone. Very... Need to chew on them. Proverbs. Exactly. Yeah. There's, we ended with a long narrative, not narrative, but a long section in Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman. Mm-hmm. And then we start this next book, and we, right off the bat, we read Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, kind of implying it might be Solomon. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Mm-hmm. And then the first thing the preacher says is, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And if anyone knows anything about Ecclesiastes, it's this verse probably, or mm-hmm. this phrase. Um, so what do we? Yeah. What, what, what do we? What do we make of this? Well, what are we doing here? Yeah. What, uh, should, should we even keep reading? I mean, vanity of vanities. It, it, it seems like everything's. Another translation might say meaninglessness or meaningless. Mm. Um, Why are we recording the podcast? Yeah. That's what a good are we question. even doing? <laughs> this is our for for the listener at home. This is our second take, so that may we may be onto something here. Maybe we just yeah. don't record the podcast on Ecclesiastes, right? Yeah, vanity of vanities that's here and then it's gone. I mean, and then we had a prime example yeah. right away. Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's double click on the word vanity, and mm. I mean that in a literal sense because I'm using an iPad. But um, if yeah, I've you... got a uh, uh, I've got my Reformation Study Bible here, okay. and uh, you should have a little footnote right over that word, vanity. And so um, Nate's going to click on his and yeah, give us the... It lets you know it's the Hebrew term habel, um, which, interesting, I always like pointing this out. Readers are actually already familiar with a Bible character named habel. He shows up in Genesis chapter 4 and then gets killed by his brother, and he's here and then he's gone. Uh, and part of that's because the word literally means mist, vapor, or mere breath, something that's here and then it's gone. If it were mm. a little bit colder outside today, I would be able to see my breath. And it's you you exhale and you see the vapor cloud and then it goes away. It's instantaneous. Yeah. So yeah. in that in that sense, it kind of sets the tone of this preacher here in Ecclesiastes is saying everything is fleeting, everything is vaporous, everything is elusive, everything right. is here and then it's gone, which... He's probably partially right to some degree. We're going to get yeah. into how he's right, how he's should be understood differently, maybe. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's so some there's some paradox happening. There's here. some paradox. So mm-hmm. that that kind of helps set the stage a little bit. Um, we should say here, uh, historically, eh, historically is maybe too strong. It had been assumed for a while Solomon was the author, and mm-hmm. we're led to believe that because of the very first verse says he's the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Yep. Um, when you think about wisdom and wisdom literature, you mi- immediately think Solomon. Yes. So, um, Without getting too detailed, we're just going to say the general consensus is Solomon didn't write this, although there may be some source material connected to him. Um, but we should note, let's, let's make a quick note about the structure. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting uh, this first 11 verses is kind of like a prologue mm-hmm. that someone's sort of saying about this preacher character. 
And then in verse 12, we start getting first person accounts from the preacher. It's kind of autobiographical, not strictly an autobiography, but right. kind of in that neck of the woods. And right. then it's sort the, of set in a narrative context. Yeah. Because at the very end, this narrator comes back into the picture mm-hmm. um, and gives us a kind of conclusion. Uh, that sort of sums everything up, almost reframes the way we should have read everything in the first yeah, place. exactly. Um, and we yep. won't comment on that here, but just to note that we're getting a lot of first-person narrative from this preacher person yep. set in a prologue-epilogue frame. So in a certain sense, whoever wrote the book is not the preacher. Someone gathered the preacher's sayings, and it's unlikely that person is Solomon, even if you want to make a case for the preacher being Solomon, but even that is a little uh, shaky at best. Yeah. But for what we're going to do to make sense of the book, we don't need to necessarily know who the author is directly. We just need to know kind of what's going on structurally. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of other wisdom literature, if this were just Proverbs 2.0, it probably wouldn't need to be in the Bible. So it's going to be doing something like Proverbs. It's dealing with wisdom, but it's maybe when wisdom doesn't work out right. Yeah. But maybe not as yeah. tragically as Job. Mm-hmm. So it's, in a sense, in a in life on earth, we would expect things in Proverbs. And if you haven't listened to our Proverbs episode, you can listen to that where I talk with, uh, with Duckett about it of Proverbs are not promises. They're generally true, but they're not always true. And Ecclesiastes seems to be mm-hmm. really leaning into, well, maybe it feels like most of the time they're not true. Right. Yeah. What do we do about that? Yeah. And I think that's a that's a a huge reason why this is here, like you're saying, to that point. It's not Proverbs two point It's a a still more hopeful, I I would think, mm-hmm. uh um sort of continuity of the hope maybe the hopelessness of Job or that we find in Job. Yeah. Um and so I think that's why uh and, and we'll get into this a little bit as we go, but um especially with us having the New Testament in light of the New Testament, this has so much to say about uh, the seeming paradox that we're about to get into here yeah. in a second. Yeah. So. so, kind of with all that in mind, let's let's jump right in here. Um, mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes is one of the books. We say all Scripture needs to be interpreted in context. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ecclesiastes, maybe more than other books, feels like you really can't make sense of any one chapter in isolation. You, you yeah. can pull a chapter of Proverbs out and just read it on its own. And yep, draw and chew on the individual Proverbs. But yeah. Ecclesiastes, these chapters are building on one another. It's kind of building a case, and then that case is understood in light of its conclusion. So um, we've already settled kind of what vanity might mean, if that's what your translation says. But what yeah. are what are some high points that we want to touch on as we're just looking at the the actual content of the book? Yeah. So uh, the next big thing, uh, I, phrase, I think we need to understand is the phrase under the sun. Okay. And that one occurs some, I think it's like 25 times or so throughout yeah, the entirety of the book. Is twice right? a chapter, roughly. Yeah, roughly. Um, so that phrase, uh, I think, it's 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 been said that this book could be well a lot of people can take it as an apologetic to the unbeliever mm. but i actually think because this is written to god's people it all, it has probably way more implication for us um and the reason for that is you can understand under the sun apart from god but with god you can understand under the sun in light of the fall 
So okay. we who in the in the church can 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 look at that and say, okay, under the sun in light of the fall means that we can actually make sense of a lot of brokenness. We can actually make sense of a lot of evil. But the person who doesn't have that wisdom and understanding is going to be very confused by life. And so Ecclesiastes is, I think, is trying to help us understand, okay, to your point, when righteousness doesn't work out, when what we believe the Proverbs are telling us is wisdom, you know, leads to life, leads to understanding, righteousness leads to blessing, it leads to flourishing. When those things don't happen, when they don't work out, what do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do with that information? What do we do? Um, and I think Ecclesiastes is, is helping us answer some of those questions. Yeah, yeah, that's good. The, under the sun is the other piece. I would say that it, maybe if people know two phrases from Ecclesiastes, that's mm-hmm. the other one of... I think it shows up first here in verse nine in chapter one. Yep. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing, nothing new, new under, under the, the sun. sun. It's nice how that rhymes in English, but yeah, <laughs> is not necessarily the intention in, in the original. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So we've got this vanity doesn't necessarily mean meaningless, but it does tend towards fleeting, elusive. Mm-hmm. Under the sun is life on this earth in fallen conditions. Yes. What other handles do we do we want to grab onto? Yeah, I think um I think we wanna uh, I, I wanna get into this paradox. So there's this there's this paradox happening with uh the wisdom literature that we just read in Proverbs. Mm-hmm. And the wisdom literature now that we're reading in Ecclesiastes and the messages that we're getting from Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to take us to 118, okay. uh, not much farther. And that says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Wait a minute. What What are you talking about? In much wisdom is much vexation? Didn't we just get finished reading about how the uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Mm-hmm. Like, if there's this connection with wisdom and the fear of the Lord and knowledge and righteousness and flourishing, what on earth is he saying right here? Yeah. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow? What does that mean? <laughs> He's basically saying ignorance is bliss. Yeah, right? Doesn't it, really fit the wisdom literature. It doesn't fit the wisdom literature at all. So, what is he saying? So, I think 2, let's hop over to 225. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll read 24 as well. I think this can help us with the paradox. So, 224 says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, that's key, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So I think what Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us just in those first couple of verses is that apart from God, there is no ultimate meaning in anything that we do. And if we're trying to find ultimate meaning in anything that we do outside of God, it will turn to be folly. Like, it will turn Mm -hmm. out to be folly. We will find that when we get to the end of our life, you know, if we've we've worked and toiled and, and sweat for income and wealth, and then we have to hand it off to some rando who 
doesn't care about any of the work that we just did, that's folly. Mm-hmm. It's silly. It's pointless. Why, what, what am I doing this for? Right? It's just going to get erased. Why, why it's bother? Just gonna, it's going to be gone. And so why bother doing it? But I think what... So Ecclesiastes is, is telling us a lot of things. One, I think it's actually an interesting commentary on the practical outworking of idolatry. In other words, if we find our end, if we find our telos in any of the things that we're doing temporarily here on earth, we're going, we're, we're, that's the practical outworking of idolatry, finding ultimate meaning in anything outside of God, mm. right? And it's, t- it's to us in the church, I think it's even, it's even hitting a, a, a more narrow point in that we can tend to use God as an excuse for things in our life that are idolatrous, right? So like I'm, and that's an easy temptation for someone like me in the church. Like I'm working for God for ministry. Uh, it's very, it'd be very easy for me to make that an idol, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or um, I think that this would be a whole nother podcast, but I think marriage has become an idol in the church, we right? Do yeah. so- we do have Song of Solomon coming up, <laughs> so we can, we can, we can save we, that for then. Yeah, so maybe we can preview that a little bit. But um, but I think that, that that's a, this is hopefully a helpful way of, of um, explaining the paradox in Ecclesiastes. So as we go along, I think in the book here a little bit, we can give some more examples of how that's happening and how that's playing out. But uh, when we find our end in God, all of these things, the, the, our work, our toil, um, and our ability, that's what it's saying at the end of 25 there, to have enjoyment come from God because we find our end in God. We're not looking to our work. We're not looking to our toil. We're not looking to uh, X, Y, Z to find fulfillment, right? So we're finding that in God, and therefore everything else in our life takes its proper place. Mm. And that's, that is actually the key to enjoyment. Because, so I'm, I'm going to use a, like, just a simple example of, of having a, a beer with a friend, right? Mm. We're, and let's say I have, I don't know, $30,000 or something in credit card debt, right? I'm working a, a job that allows me to pay a little bit off here at a time. And maybe I have another side hustle. You know, I'm, I'm really working hard to get this debt paid off. Um, and I'm having this conversation with a friend. I know I have a lot of work to do tomorrow to keep chipping away at, at this debt. Mm-hmm. But right now, this moment in time, I'm, I'm talking with a friend and we're having a beer and he is having a, a difficult time in his life. It is going to be impossible for me to actually enjoy that time with my friend and enjoy the fact that I can be present with him and help him walk through something. If I'm thinking about all of the debt that I have to work hard tomorrow to get, and that takes me complete, one, takes me completely out of the moment, two, doesn't allow me to enjoy anything that's happening. Because all my mind and my energy and my thought is consumed by what I have to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I think like to the point of having the New Testament and having um, 
even more revelation than they did back in the Old Testament, we can understand things like James, what James 4 is getting at and boasting about tomorrow. Like the whole point of not doing that is so that we can actually remain in the present and we can actually find our fulfillment in God. Because if we're boasting about tomorrow or thinking about tomorrow, Jesus already tells us, right? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah, It's impossible for us to enjoy anything because we're not present. We're not there. Yeah. We're not in the moment. And that's maybe the flip side of the, the idea of vanity of vanities. If, if, things, exactly. if things are fleeting, it, it doesn't mean... It means that you can't put your ultimate hope in those things, but it also means you need to be present in those things in the moment because they're not, they're not guaranteed for tomorrow. Right. And it's impossible for you to be present in those things in the moment if you're thinking about tomorrow, if your pursuit finds its end in the thing that you're pursuing apart from God. Mm. It's not possible. So I think, um, I think Ecclesiastes is giving us a, a really great uh, lesson in that. And then for us in the church, I think that's why uh, Paul can say at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, your labor is not in vain. Yeah, we sing, we sing right? a song like that, don't we? We do, and we love that song at New City. Um, let's see, where does, uh, yeah, 1558, he's closing the letter. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, here's the phrase, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Right, so that's the message. Apart from God, apart from things being in the Lord, um, it's in vain, but in the Lord it's not. So we can take the Lord's prayer and we can pray that together in the context of being in relationship with God, knowing that his will be done, his kingdom come, is coming out of our hearts as we pray, and so that in the Lord our work is not in vain. Because Colossians 1 is telling us that Jesus cares about every part of this universe being reconciled, Mm -hmm. right? And coming back to him. So every molecule in the universe he upholds by the word of his power. And so if that's true, he cares about all of it being reconciled. And that's why simple things like our work, our toil, they matter and they will contribute to that reconciliation that Jesus is is about making. And we'll be able to enjoy being a part of those things in the process because they're not our end. Mm-hmm. They, they, we don't find our ultimate meaning in that. Yeah. So they're very earthly things under the sun that can be enjoyed on a positive sense, uh, but they're not the ultimate meaning makers. Yes. So as exactly. we're as we're kind of looking at other other spots in here, um, just maybe some quick highlights. We're a lot of people probably may be familiar with chapter three. That's the whole time for everything. For everything, mm. there's a season. Uh, just kind of underscores some of the points you were just making about like the point of the moment of there's a moment for this, there's a moment for that. Yeah. Be focused on, is it the time to weep or is it the time to laugh and not mixing yes. those two up? And we could even say good. therein lies wisdom of knowing when it is the time to weep and when it is the time to laugh, when it is the time to mourn or the time to dance mm-hmm. um, and not mixing those categories up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks a little bit more about work. Uh, chapter four gets us into the evil that he has seen. Um, so there's some negative things under the sun. It's not mm-hmm. just fleeting, enjoyable things, but there's right. um, 
some negative things there. Uh, vanity of wealth shows up in chapter five. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just he covers a lot of topics. Um, I want to make sure we hit on the conclusion to kind of reframe things. Do you want to hit on anything before we get to that? No, I think I mean t- to your point, he he really gets specific in a lot of uh, different areas of life. And I think it's good for us to hone in on those things as we read and really just pay attention, take our time. Um, Because I think he's essentially working out everything that he is framing in the, in the beginning, even with those verses that I mentioned in Mm -hmm. in 118 and and then 224 and 25, the rest of the book is kind of like an outworking of those ideas and, and, and he gets really specific. And so I think, we can take a lot from, we can glean a lot from his experience. Because at the end of the book, he says, like, dude, we could exhaust, like, ourselves writing more books. Like, don't bother writing. <laughs> Trust me, I've read all the books, I've lived all the experiences, and here's my conclusion. Mm-hmm. So um, there's wisdom in, in gleaning from everything he's got to say in these chapters. Yeah. Well, as we are <clears throat> kind of focusing on, and not kind of literally focusing on how to read the Bible, when when we think about Ecclesiastes, it's one book, there's other examples, but this is one book where knowing the way the last chapter unfolds mm-hmm. is very useful to keep in mind as you're meditating on and reading through closely the earlier chapters. So let's let's yeah. actually just read through, um, I'm trying to think where we want to pick up. Is it verse nine there that starts the conclusion? Yeah, I think, yeah. 12? Yeah, so we say verse 9 is where this narrator kind of jumps back in mm-hmm. um, and says, I'm just going to, I'm going to read through the end of the end of the book. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, there and much is. study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then the book ends. Mm. And so the fear God and keep his commandments is the thing that is as we're reading this as Christians, we're keeping in mind and we're reading all the things that the preacher is saying. Mm -hmm. And he's not necessarily reminding us that we need to do that, but this narrator has added this beginning and frame to the the writings of the preacher to sort of set them in a context that makes it fit more comfortably in the rest of the Old Testament with the other wisdom literature. Because we said, Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned this at the beginning when we were reading in Proverbs, the uh, beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then he's saying here, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Mm -hmm. So how does that kind of help us rethink rethink what we're seeing in these earlier chapters? Yeah, I think... um... I think it helps us make sense to your to your brief points about like there's there's a lot of evil happening um in some of these chapters and mm-hmm. and he's sitting there and he's going okay so if the wicked and the righteous end up in the same place what's the point why are we why follow God's commandments right why fear the lord why do these things well it's because 
of what verse 14 says is that we can trust that in the end, God is going to bring everything under the sun into judgment. And because we know that he's a just judge, he's a good God, we can trust him in that. And so that everything, everything that has happened under the sun, good or evil, it's all, it's all in his sight and it's all going to be brought into judgment. And so when we see the wicked prospering, right, when we see evil happening all around us, we lament, certainly, we, we weep, we mourn for those things. Um, he even mentions mourning in there quite a few times. It's, it's better to, to mourn, right, than to, um, I think, something about folly than to participate in some kind of folly. But um, there's wisdom in, in going into the house of mourning. But that we mourn, we weep, we lament those things, those evil things, but we have hope because we can trust in the good God and the good judge who is going to bring all of those evil things into their proper judgment. He is going to weigh them, he's going to count them, and he's going to judge them perfectly um, because he's a good God and a good judge. And so that's why we fear God and keep his commandments, because we can trust in him and in his judgment, despite everything that we can see around us and all of the wicked that's taking place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good word. It's just underscoring more and more that we can contrast Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but they really mm-hmm. do go together. It's it's giving us a full orb picture Absolutely. of wisdom. The author's not, uh, you know, to that point, he's not, we're not pitting Proverbs against whatever he's saying here. In fact, he's, he's highlighting, I think, Proverbs in a way and saying that there is within uh, God and, and, and all things being in God uh, for the Christian, that we're not taking uh, anything in Proverbs and making it an ultimate thing. Mm. But we are saying that the wisdom of Proverbs is the, the beginning of the fear of the Lord, right? And so understanding that and understanding that in the end, God is going to bring everything into judgment, we can know and trust that Fearing God and obeying his commandments in the end will result in our good, right? Yeah. Because in the moment, they, they might not match up, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and he's addressing all of that in these earlier chapters. He's going into instance after instance of, well, I did this, I did, or I saw people do the right thing, and they still ended up in a horrible, miserable situation, right? Yeah. Um, so he's saying the end of the matter all has been heard at the end of the day. If you fear God and obey his commandments, it will. It will work out for your good. Mm-hmm. So, And don't let your circumstances or things you observe change that fact for you. Yes. Trust in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good word to end on. It's, it's how the book ends. And we hope as you're reading Ecclesiastes uh, in CBR that this will be useful for you to kind of give you some things to hold on to and make sense of uh, what this preacher is saying in his autobiographical writings. Yeah. So, It's good chatting with you, Josh. Look forward to next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Nate.